Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Hello, everybody from foggy South Florida, but at least it's warm and sunny is going to come out later on. So, so, so South Florida is here. We've got Texas here. We've got the Midwest. Midwest. We've got the mid-central cold, snowy country. And I have a wonderful guest from just a little bit north of me in Florida. Miss Christina Stewart is in the house. Christina, are you there? I'm here. Hi. I'm, I'm so excited you're here. And we actually, before the show, we started talking. I'm like, hold that, hold that. <laughs> we got so much to talk about. And I'm really excited because I was, you know, sometimes we just have to have a little bit of laugh and laughter in our life. And all the time. What do you mean? All the, time? all the time. And so <laughs> I told you, I got up this morning and I was doing some research. And I was watching one of your YouTube videos and I was laying there in bed just kind of chilling out. And I heard your laugh and your giggle. I'm like, oh, this is going to be such a fun show. <laughs> so because in spite of life, we do have to find the joy and the laughter, and, and I'm looking forward to the show. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you let for me having in- me. I'm looking forward to it, too. Yeah, yeah. let me introduce it, because you weren't feeling well, so I'm really glad you got your voice back, and, uh, and we're going to stand up and speak yeah, up in a fun you. way. So let me tell everybody who you are. Uh, as many of my guests, Christina and I have uh, connected through Women's Prosperity Network, and uh, she's fabulous, and she's fun. So... Christina Stewart is an international speaker, an award-winning photojournalist of over 20 years, a giggler extraordinaire, and a soul seer. Her laugh is contagious as is her eternally optimistic attitude. Even as a survivor of childhood molestation, rape, and domestic violence, Christina finds the gifts in all of life's experiences. She brings light and love to everyone she meets. And boy, is that the truth. And it's interesting... <laughs> I've heard that bio several in several uh, interviews that you've done, and in spite of the middle part there, which lists you as a survivor, and I'm going to change survivor to thriver because you've moved mm-hmm. on really well. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. Of childhood um, molestation, rape, and domestic abuse, we've had stories by other women that have been through this, and it, it truly amazes me how widespread that issue is. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for the women that are speaking up about it, though, because those of us that fortunately didn't experience it are surrounded by women that have, and if mm-hmm. we don't hear about it, 
we can't appreciate where you guys have been and how you come through it. So right, absolutely. thank you for thank you for speaking up, but thank you for doing it with oh, I love it with the giggle because I know the giggles <laughs> haven't always been there. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like to we're going to dive right in, okay? Sure. We're going to go back to your childhood, yeah. and it wasn't as long ago for you as it was for me, but <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to tell us a little bit about you. You know, where did you grow up? Where are you in the mm -hmm. siblings? line up if you have brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And uh, let, let me just hear a little bit about you. I grew up in South Florida. Uh, I'm a native South Floridian, a very rare breed. I was born in Fort Lauderdale wow. and grew up, spent most of my um, childhood down there. I moved up to Gainesville when I was 20 to go to college. So I spent my whole first 20 years in South Florida. Um, I'm the oldest of just two. My brother is seven years younger than I am, so it was a little bit more like he had a second mom than an older sister. We didn't really have much sibling rivalry. Um, I babysat him. I was so excited to get a little brother. Like He was like a little doll baby to me. Mm -hmm. um, at the time he was born, they wouldn't let people into the room with, you know, to see my mom. I could just see him in the nursery through the window, you know, and so when they brought him home, I just, it's a very vivid memory for me. I ran into the house and sat in the recliner and, you know, they immediately, as soon as they walked in the house, put him in my arms and I just was in love. <laughs> and now he's six foot five, tattooed up and down, is a dad of three beautiful boys and we're very close. We've had our ups and downs, you know, as family does. Um, and probably the the strangest one is his father is the one who molested me when I was nine. So, and he was only two years old at the time. So he didn't actually know about the molestation and all that happened until he was an adult. And it was um, quite the conversation that he actually didn't have with me at first. He had it with my mom. And, um, but he kind of figured it out. Just some, some hints we've been giving um, he had a girlfriend at the time who had two young daughters and his father was still alive and we, you know, were making it very clear that his dad shouldn't be alone with, with the girls. And he kind of started figuring it out. And so he asked my mom about it, not me, <laughs> until later. Um, and we've had many conversations about it. So, but when do, you, when do you share that, right? Like I've always talked about it, but when do you tell this little boy's thought, you know, that his father did this horrific thing to his sister, who he loves and adores. Um, so that's a little bit of my childhood. <laughs> wow. I, but I'm, I'm sitting here speechless because I'm thinking, where do we go from there? Because I'm wondering, <laughs> you know, well, I'm wondering from his point of view, how yeah. did he feel? And how did he actually, or did you reach out to him or did he reach out to you? Um, you know, he, he reached out to my mom, and she said, do you really want to know the answer to that? He said, something happened between Chris and my dad, didn't it? And she said, do you really want to know the answer? And he said, yes. And so they had a two-hour conversation. And when they were done, she called me just to kind of give me a heads up. And yeah. he didn't approach me about it for a while. Um, I don't remember exactly how long, because this was at least 10 years ago. Um, but we did have a conversation, and he... He was very torn um, because he did, you know, we ha were very close. And he was very close with his father as well. He was an only child for his dad as I am for mine. 
so his dad was was very ill in um, addictive ways. Uh, he died young in a, a very n- not graceful death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, he was very torn, and, and he he felt bad that his dad did this and didn't know – he really didn't know how to handle it for a long time. And, and so when he broaches the subject and wants to talk about it more, I do. I'm very open about what happened to me. And, and he – I think it helps that I've done so much of my own healing work around this that he sees that I'm Okay. Okay. And so and that's really the thing that matters most to him. So his father has passed away. Yes. Okay. Which was a very um, surreal experience for me as well because I never wish anybody dead. I like in my bio, I'm an eternal optimist, and I practically jumped up and down with gratitude, <laughs> with excitement that he was no longer of this world. And well, that's and an interesting place, though. Too. Because it's gratitude yeah. and maybe a little bit of guilt that you're celebrating that. So that but I'm it's happy like, about it. Interesting. Because he was in pain, you know. Um, so I'm, I, I empathize with him and or sympathize with him in that way, you know, wanted to be there for him because his dad had died. And, and also, you know, he can't hurt anybody else in this world. So it was very strange for both of us, I think, <laughs> but that was a while ago. And so he, he's grown and healed as, as up high. How did your mom take the whole thing? Did she know she, about it? When... Yeah. When I was nine, um, I, I kind of, you know, they taught us in school, which I don't think they teach anymore, which scares me like crazy, but I was in fourth grade and I remember them teaching us in school that, you know, it's, it's a stranger down the street or if someone offers you candy and, or tells you, like, shh, don't tell your mom or I'll kill your mom if you do or, you know, those kinds of things that they would teach us. But they never taught us that it could be somebody who your mother's married to, right? It, they didn't tell us it could be your uncle or your father or your stepfather. Um, it, it was always, you know, somebody outside the family that they talked about. And so I didn't really know. Fortunately, it wasn't traumatic. There was, um, I mean, it wasn't as <laughs> wasn't as bad as it could have been. You know, I've heard other horrific stories, and um, don't minimize it. So I, <laughs> yes, and I, that's why I stopped myself because it's still traumatic for me and still impacted my life in huge ways. And so I kind of told her by accident. She was. They had had a fight, and we were just we were talking, you know, and, and I said, yeah, and I don't like it when he does this. And I, I described what he did, and, and she said, tell me, what happened? What is it? Tell me again. You know, what exactly did he do? And um, the next day in school, they called me out of my class, and um, the reaction of the authorities was actually more traumatic than yeah. the incident. And... They put me in a little room with my guidance counselor. It must have been a, a broom closet that they put a desk in because it was so tiny. She had to push her chair in so I could go to the other side of the desk and sit down. And mm-hmm. I remember this room or these people, like the resource officer and my mom and the principal and all these adults standing in the doorway, like staring at me while the guidance counselor asked me these questions and about, you know, what happened because they wanted to see the extent of it. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that it was wrong. <clears throat> and 
I, that was the moment that I separated. Like, a little part, my, my nine-year-old self was over. My childhood was done in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so basically she came to the school to prove that I was lying. She didn't mm-hmm. want to believe it herself because that meant her life was going to be totally upended, uprooted, and we had just moved into this new house in suburbia. She couldn't afford it on her own. She had a two-year-old child, a seven, you know, a nine-year-old daughter. Um, so she wanted, <clears throat> she wanted it not to be true. And um, unfortunately, it was. And so we ended up going to counseling. And um, for many years after it was ordered, you know, we had been ordered to, um, which I really truly believe saved our relationship. Her and I going, continuing to go, and go to counseling through my high school years um, until the counselor retired, actually, <laughs> um, really helped develop and strengthen our relationship after that. So uh, this is a silly question, but did she stay with him or did she leave him? Or? Oh, no, he was ordered out of the house <clears throat> legally oh. at first and, and um, for about a year. And then she did invite him back into the house. And that, for me, was a huge betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, those couple years I, are very foggy for me. I don't remember many of the details. I do remember that she just invited him back in. She says it was only a for, for a couple weeks before she realized, like, this isn't the right thing to do, this isn't going to work, and she, she asked him to leave again. Um, so, no, they didn't end up staying together. Um, mm-hmm. And, Yeah. But trust-wise, that was a hit on your trust in her yeah. and, and in him. I mean, did you live in worry at, or did you just separate from it at that point? I really just separated from it. Um, I started lashing out in middle school and got myself into um, having sex way too young. I continued the abuse on myself, basically, and uh, ended up in a position that where a 19-year-old raped me when I was 12. And I was hanging, you know, I was getting drunk, I was skipping school, I was sneaking out of the house, you know, so I I was hell on wheels for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you were looking for love and like that story in all right. the wrong places. But you wanted someone to love you. It's just not the right person. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of work around worth <laughs> mm-hmm. and deserving and, and healing those wounds and understanding that that's not who I am. That, that contributed to my character and, and the experience. I don't regret any experience that I've ever chosen to do, any person I've ever invited into my life, anything that's happened for me. I absolutely have zero regret. I look at everything as a gift because it's brought me to who I am today. I'm really proud of who I am now and who I'm becoming. And I wouldn't want to relive those things, and I would never wish them on anybody. And I'm so grateful that they happened. Well, you're my kind of girl because (laughs) I, I totally understand. And the one thing, though, when you said that you wouldn't want to relive them, Somebody did ask me once if I could go back and not go through some of the things I've been through. And I was like, you know what? I probably would do it again because of the growth and the changes that took place from the inside out, at least for me. 
Right. I, I would say the same. I don't want anybody else to go through it, but right. I might have done it again just because mm-hmm. I've learned so much. And, and I can hear it in you too, and I love your yeah. attitude about that and the strength that comes through it because there is a time when I love, you know, my, my show is Stand Up and Speak Up, and it's all about mm-hmm. the woman behind the smile. And I mentioned this to you earlier that, you know, you, you could have just hid, hid behind a rock and just yeah. hid behind that smile, and you might have done that for a few years. But mm-hmm. when did you come out? public with this story? You know, I, I've been talking about it pretty much since it happened. Because of the counseling, I've been very open about it really my whole life. Um, I remember, now, the rape, I didn't. The rape I didn't talk about until I was 19. I didn't tell anybody about that because I was ashamed, because I had made unhealthy choices and, and gotten myself into a situation, and so I was blaming myself. And mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until that person came back into my circle of, of people and friends that I confided in my then boyfriend uh, about it. So when I was 20 uh, or 20, 21, I was in college at US up in Gainesville, and I was in a travel and recreation group. And one of the parents of, my, of another person in this group had a home on the beach in Ormond Beach. And they, every semester would basically let us party. <laughs> I was 21, so we, we could drink. So um, they, they took our keys away. They had all the food and, and drink, and we stayed in the house, you know, so we could party to celebrate the end of the semester. And I, we carpooled, and I drove uh, two other women. And somehow we got on this topic, and I said, and the statistic was and still is, one in three women will have had some sort of sexual trauma by the time they're 21 in college, right, college age. And I said that statistic, and I said, I'm the one. I'm the Mm. one in this car. And we get to the house, we settle in, and and one of the women in the car said, I'd really like to talk to you. Can we go for a walk? And I said, sure. So we walk along the beach, and she said, you know, I was so moved by your your honesty and, and your courage in sharing your story that it, it motivated me to share mine. And I was the first person she told of a long time abuse by an older cousin. Whenever she would go to India, back to India to visit family, he would, he would molest her and, and do very inappropriate things. Hmm. And she had never told anybody. She just stopped going back to India, and she wouldn't tell anybody why. So I've actually been, because I've been so comfortable and so honest about sharing my story, it's given other people permission to share theirs. And that is so powerful and to get it out of your body. I've been the first person many people have shared their story with Um, because I'm so, I really, people tell me their deepest, darkest secrets, no matter what it is, no matter how long I've known them, like literally in the movie theater lines. (laughs) I've got some crazy stories. (laughs) So it doesn't ever surprise me. And I still hold the space of love and appreciation and courage and support to allow them to, to share their, their story. Right. And it's and free, so freeing. I, I'm going back a little bit because you've done a lot of writing. And I know in my experience mm-hmm. that writing, especially writing out the story and what has happened, releases you from the emotions of that story, still your life, mm-hmm. 
but it hasn't right. become the only part of your life. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, had, did, what kind of strength did you gain from, I call it, from the inside out by doing that? Because you, you've oh, written right. a lot. Yeah, I've written a lot. Yeah, it's always been a part of me that actually um, in middle school, that was my goal. I wanted to be a writer. And I found journalism in, middle, in uh, high school, loved it, got to college, hated it, <laughs> like the journalistic style of writing. And I found photography. I found photojournalism. And so for over 20 years, I have concentrated in that area and always knew that I wanted to eventually combine those two passions. And I've just now, I've always written in journals and, and written my own, you know, pieces and, and social media, you know, I am working on a book and I am a photographer for a local magazine called everythingbrevard.com. Uh, it is a print magazine as well as a website. And I, for our January issue, I wrote a story about my love letters, uh, transformational experience. And I just asked the publisher, who is a friend of mine, also WPN, <laughs> or was, that's how we met, and asked her, you know, I really was motivated. I really loved that experience of sharing that. Can I be a regular contributor? Mm -hmm. And so she said, yes. So I'm going to be publishing a piece every issue on something like this, like some of parts of me, parts of my experience, parts of, you know, I have so many tools to share, and this will be one of the ways that I can share it in a bigger way. So, yeah, it really is healing. Um, I have done gratitude. I, one of the most transformational experiences for me was sitting down and writing a list of 10 things that I was grateful for, for every person and every experience that, that contributed to traumas in my life. And you actually have uh, the gratitude jar. Is that what I, what I heard? Can you I explain do, what yeah. you do with the gratitude jar? <laughs> yeah, the gratitude jar I, is a tool that I learned from one of my business coaches, Bertoliva, um, who's amazing. And he suggested every night <clears throat> at the end of the day, write something that you're grateful for. One thing, two things, but at least one thing and put it on a little piece of paper, fold it up, stick it in this gratitude jar and that for 30 days. And then at the end of 30 days, every morning, you pull out one of those pieces of paper to start your day with remembering something specific that you have been grateful for. So then you're living through the day, you know, you're starting the day and living through the day of, of having gratitude for something that really happened. Um, and to remember. So it'll bring you back to that space of gratitude. And gratitude is so amazingly healing. And that's a really fun way to do it. It's a great thing to do with your kids. I've got clients who have kids that do this. Um, that's a tool I've shared. And they all do it as a family. You know, at the end of the day, each person, some people have their own jar. You know, the kids each have their own jar. Some have a family jar. Yeah, so it's, it's a fun tool. I've actually used that as a tool, as a prompt for writing in a journal. When oh. you pull it out in the morning, um, that prompt that you pull out, that becomes your, your you know, oh, grateful journey idea. for the day. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm just sitting here trying to figure it out. Like you'd have to have one jar where they go in at night and one jar they come out in the morning. <laughs> so you think yeah, two gratitude jars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> two gratitude jars. But I yeah. do like, I'm, I'm looking at the article that you wrote. Um, it was like, you are my heart. 
how to write a love letter to yourself. Why is it important to write a love letter to yourself? I, I laugh all the time. I'm smiling all the time. I do bring the fun into a room. And I would look in the mirror and say really nasty things to myself. Mm. And I had, I, not even during COVID, it was actually before COVID, I had gained 40 pounds. Once I said, like I told the universe, I am sharing my story on a big way. Like I'm going to go on podcasts and, and stages and, you know, I'm really going to put myself out there. My subconscious went, okay, here's 40 pounds for you. <laughs> <laughs> And um, that's 100 pounds over my ideal weight. And I was not happy. I'd been working out with a personal trainer all last year, still do. Um, and I was, I was like up and down 10 pounds. And I just was like, I've done so much healing work. I've done so much integration. Can I please let go of this weight? Like what is going on? You know, I've developed my spiritual side in amazing, beautiful ways. What is happening? Like, <laughs> I don't know what else to do. So I really was in a kind of a space of, okay, spiritual team, like, I've done all the things you've told me to do, and it's still here, like, what is going on? You know, I know this is a protective mechanism for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that I'm safe. Why is my body still not responding in that way? And I had a dream where my future self came to me and said, tell me about your love letters sessions. And I responded, it's not about the client falling in love with you, it's about you falling in love with yourself. And I woke up thinking, as a photographer, I immediately went to that photography space and thought, oh, love letter sessions, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up, that could be fun with couples or, you know, I'll think about it. Well, I went into meditation and realized it has nothing to do with photography, it's I needed to write myself love letters every day. And so I committed to doing it for 30 days, and every day I wrote myself a love letter. And about 10 days in, I realized, wow, I'm actually teaching myself how to love myself. It was the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And I I realized that it's a way of really getting in tune with who I am, because one of my questions was, you know, everybody says, oh, you got to love yourself first before you can love anybody else truly, or, and I'm single, and I would love to be in a committed long-term relationship, and I know I've been doing all this healing work, not for that reason, but, you know, I know that that will contribute and help with it, and because I don't want the kind of experiences I've had with men (laughs) prior Mm -hmm. to now. Um, so I wanted to make some changes. And, but I kept thinking, like, well, what does that even mean? How, how do we love ourselves? Like, I'm confident. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a great photographer. I'm a great friend. You know, what does that really mean? And so starting to write these love letters really helped me better understand what that means for me. It's going to be different for everybody. And so the importance of it is, that we teach ourselves how to level up our love for ourselves. Like I have love for myself before I started doing this, and this just amplified it and taught me how to speak to myself again. You know, I used to walk by reflections in the mirror and be like, oh, girl, look at that. You know, you're looking good. (laughs) And I stopped doing that, and I didn't like that feeling anymore. So this was a way that I was able to change it, matured in a way that is right for me for who I am today 
and really just got me to the core of myself again and learned who that really is, you know, from the molestation and the rape and the domestic violence. Like I was split into so many parts. I didn't really know who I was as a whole. And so this experience really helped me figure out what that looks like and who, who I can be uh, as a whole integrated person. It's, well, it's, it's interesting, though, to, to actually do it, because um, it made me laugh or giggle when you said, you know, walk in front of the mirror and go, oh, girl, because mm-hmm. I know I, when I walk in the mirror, a lot of times we're so, we're so self-critical. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, there's a few extra pounds on that hip or yep. it's not, right. you know, gravity's getting you or whatever, and it's, just, it's so self-deprecating. I'm thinking, why do we do that? You know, why don't yeah. we just say your hair looks great today? And maybe mm-hmm. that's one of the letters is look at the simple things. Because yes. if we look at the whole package, we're going, oh, you can, you can blow holes in the whole package. But if you look at, you know, your nails might look good today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or your, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and as we get older, things change. So let's be happy with not having to pluck eyebrows if there's no eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> For instance. Yeah. Like you said in your intro, you know, it's all about changing the perception yeah. and the perspective of our experiences. Well, can we just go, I love this idea of the, the love letter because I know I could probably start it. I love journaling and I did it during my scam. I did it for two years every day. I had 4,000 pages. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. then when I met the fellow that I ended up marrying, my husband, I stopped journaling. I mean, I've got mm. two years worth of awful experiences, which I thought were wonderful. And I'm looking back at that going, okay, and I've chronicled one of the worst times yeah. in my life, but I'm not journaling the happy times in my life. The, the best time. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about starting to write those love letters? And I loved in your article, you actually gave a, you know, 10 steps. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I've started doing webinars, freebie webinars that lead into a 30-day transformational experience where I'm able to support um, a group of people. We meet weekly, even though everybody else, they're, they're all doing their letters every day. Then we gather as a group every week to offer support of one another because doing this brings up stuff, right? Like brings up the things that need to be healed. It brings up some insecurities. It brings up things that people don't even think are going to come up, come up. And so I love to be able to support them through that, through those experiences, through those blocks, through those whatever it is. And I also love celebrating the, the getting through those things, you know, and the, and the realizations and the, the, the light bulb moments of, you know, when it finally clicks that they, they are shifting or their confidence is building. And so I, I am sharing this. That's part of my um, purpose in this life <laughs> is to share things like this, to bring more love and healing into the world. So to start it is really committing to it, making the decision that, you want something to change. You don't, know, you don't need to know how it's going to change or how this is going to impact you because it's an individual experience that's going to impact everybody differently. Um, me, I released 10 pounds doing this process. Mm. And I didn't, wasn't even trying. But because I was shifting my perspective about myself, I was happier. So I was making better choices for myself. So that's how it worked for me. I have another person in my group that, she's been wanting to ask for a raise at her job for like four years. And, and doing this process, she finally built up enough confidence to ask and, and felt deserving and, you know, really internalized 
that she was deserving of it and she was going to ask for it. And they said yes. So it's going to be different for everybody. So the first way, the, the thing to do it is just commit. Just know that you want to make some changes, and, and this is a way that it can happen. And then schedule it into your day. So I have a morning routine. I don't schedule anything except you today before mm-hmm. 10 o'clock. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Um, <laughs> because that's my morning routine. You know, I get up, I get my coffee, I get my tea, I, you know, play with the dogs a little bit, and then I go grab the journals, all my multiple colored pens, and I sit on the back porch and I journal and meditate. And sometimes that's a 20-minute experience. Sometimes it's two hours. Um, but I give myself until 10. And then from there, you know, I usually work out or I have meetings with clients or, you know, I get my day started. Now I'm working until like 10 o'clock at night as well. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, so create some sort of routine, whether it's in the morning or the evening, at lunch, you know, do something, uh, have a dedicated journal for it. Just, it's a really special experience and it should be honored and treated that way. And uh, just do it. <laughs> you know, commit to doing it. We it takes a minimum of 21 days to make or break a habit. Mm-hmm. So that's why the 30 days, you know, solidifies it a little bit more than just the 21. And it's 30 consecutive days. So if you miss a day, your 30 days starts over. <laughs> well, and I was just thinking that it would be really nice. I mean, I love getting letters in the mail. Not right. necessarily text or emails. Like I like getting a letter, a snail mail letter. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe if you're doing this to yourself, buy a little, you know, a little nice pretty pad of paper or or mm-hmm. little, I don't know, nice little card Dictionary that you send to yourself. Yeah. Make it make it special. Um, yeah, that might that might kick in rather than pulling out a piece of copy paper from your printer. Oh no, yeah, get a yeah, pretty journal. I love the stationary idea. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's that's fun, and it is committing, uh, and mm-hmm. just setting a time. I mean, me too. That it's so easy to get up. My husband gets up early, and he's out of the house by six. So I have a choice. Mm-hmm. I can get up and do my scriptures, or start reading, or or doing something like that before I go to work, uh, which is in my office, which is right down the hallway from my bedroom. Down the hall, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> or or I can flip through the news real quick, flip off the light, set the alarm for you know an hour and a half, ninety minutes to get that REM sleep. Um, that's my choice, and mm-hmm. if I if I choose number two and hit this, you know, light and go back to sleep, and I don't get that hour and a half, then I wake up and I'm tired. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. didn't I get up and go swimming? Why didn't I? And then the shoulda, coulda, woulda's all hit in. Right, right. And that, <laughs> that's no good. Then you're not grateful for that's anything. No, that's not helpful. Right. <laughs> no, the day starts poorly. Mm-hmm. So I I I love this article, and it, this was an article. This was in the Everything Brevard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Put that on your website. So yes. speaking of that, could you please let us know how to get a hold of you? Yeah. With the puppy dog. So you hear my dogs, yep. They I were, do. They've been so good. <laughs> they're used to me. I, I'm actually in my office doing this because they're used to me in here talking and working with clients on the computer and stuff. So they're usually pretty quiet <laughs> in here, but they're doing some construction across the street on a new house. So <laughs> okay. there's all kinds of stuff happening. Um, yeah, the, the best way is social media. I am actually working with a VA right now to get all of my website, landing pages, all of that stuff um, organized, email mm-hmm. campaigns, all of that. Because in photography, it was mostly referral. I do have a photography website. Um, and this is through 2020, the love letters and doing um, this coaching work with people has is 
a big part of my life right now and, and will be. This is, I know, where I'm going. So that's all, you know, I'm revamping all of that stuff. So um, if you follow me on Instagram, it's, I've got two of them, at Photo if you're interested in photography, or my motivational speaker side is Christina M. as in Marie Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T. And those are really where I post and share, and you can DM me, and I'll send you a, a little tips thing. If you follow me and, and direct message me, I'll send you a little how to get centered and aligned through the chaos, which, you know, we've all experienced quite a bit of chaos in the last year. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Uh, your photography, <clears throat> excuse me, I've seen a lot of your work, and I know that you uh, specialize in headshots, which was interesting because when, when we were talking earlier and I was talking about hiding behind the camera mm-hmm. and now seeing through the lens, life through the lens, yeah. Um, what do you see? What makes you a different kind of photographer? What makes you a special photographer? This is brag time. Well, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, well, I did. One of the parts of my bio is soul seer, S O U L dash S E E R, and that is me to the core. I have been complimented by many of my clients. In photojournalism, working for newspapers, I never really got feedback from the actual subjects of the, peop- you know, the people I was photographing, unless I ran into them later or they took the time to, to send an email or something, which you know, people don't as often send the I love this stuff kind of emails. <laughs> so um, when I got into freelance full time and got into Women's Prosperity Network uh, and, and my own business, I started getting that feedback directly. And so many people who don't know each other, who I would photograph, would say, man, you really captured the, the essence of me, you know, who I am or who my relationship is, like the dynamic of my family, you real, my dogs, you know, that you captured our personalities and, and our, our true essence. I see people in their best light. And I help them get out of their own way and shine it so brightly that I freeze it on film. You know, I, I freeze it in the camera and, and help them share it with the world. Hmm. So it's, it's that gift of, you know, the people who tell me their deepest, darkest secrets in the, in the lines at the movie theaters, right? Mm-hmm. I, with five minutes of knowing me, I'm going to know everything about them. And it's, that skill is innate. It's, it's what I was born with. And it, I've just translated that into my photography. And so our sessions are fun. They forget the camera's there, even with my six-inch long lens. You know, yeah, it's a big camera. <laughs> it's a big camera, a big lens. Um, they totally forget it's there. People who, you know, I, I very often get, well, oh, I'm so not um, photogenic. And mm-hmm. I always look silly in pictures, right? There's that self-deprecating, self-critical side of us. And I, and I very confidently say, well, you've never been photographed by me. And, and then when we're done, they say, oh, my God, you're right. Like, they, I've had people cry because they truly see themselves for the first time, sometimes ever, through my images. And it's because I truly see them. I, I see the best in people. And I bring that out in them, I guess. <laughs> 
So how are you doing this? In, how are you doing this in this atmosphere of you know not being able to get out and about? Or are you just doing well, it locally? Still, Can you still do it locally? Um, I still do. I still work for the magazine, so I'm I'm doing some limited things with them, um, local stuff. I my specialty is people, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I have done some photography, and I've I've put the camera down quite a bit, and I've shifted into using those skills um, in a modality that it's called soul language. I'm a certified practitioner, so I've actually moved into a soul coaching space. People were, especially last year, were questioning their purpose. They were, it was a time that, you know, we were given the time to pause and reflect. We had to, we were forced to. Um, and so people started looking at their lives and saying, wait a minute, you know, either they were forced to change, their jobs changed, their businesses changed, those kinds of things, their relationships changed. Um, they were forced to look at those things and didn't know where to go or do, what to do with that. And I was called to really share that message in a bigger way. So I've actually started doing soul coaching that can, I connect with people on a soul level and help them clear those blocks, find their, you know, I introduce people to their life purpose in one session and, and then support them in creating that living the life that is right for who they are and what they're supposed to be doing in this world. And, and so my people are making more money. They're feeling better, happier. They're loving themselves more. This love letters experience is an extension of that because I know my goal in this life is to help bring more love and healing to the world. I yeah, bravely put the camera down because it was it was something that I was hiding behind. And I still am a shooter. I'm still a photographer. I still love it. I'm still I'm going to be a photographer forever. I see the world in pictures. I dream in pictures. And I have the confidence to to put that down and and go where I'm called. And this is this is the direction right now. There you go. Well, I'm going to sign you up, though, before you put the camera down for life. Yes. <laughs> I'm probably due for some new pictures, and you do some absolutely phenomenal work. It's, it's, and I'm looking at your picture on my on my promo right now. It's just so pretty and uh, just very gentle, and I love the smile, and I love the giggles that go along with it. So um, we had talked about maybe bringing Dr. Tim McGinnis in. Tim is actually the founder of the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, or SCARS, and I'm on the board of SCARS. We deal with a lot of uh, women and men that have been in a, a romance relationship fraud that have been through the trauma, much of the trauma that you've talked about. And Dr. Tim, are you there? I am. Hey, Tim. Um, briefly, your thoughts about, I mean, I love Christina, so you've got to be kind. <laughs> the stories. Tim, we had talked about maybe, you know, speaking up the stories and how that's important for our audience and, you know, the audience that uh, Christina is reaching. You know, one of the things that occurs to me immediately, and I'll just get this out of the way, I think collectively we should stop using the word story because story connotates fiction in a manner yeah, of speaking. Made up. These are not stories. These are histories. Now, that's that's just one thought for the moment. But the bottom line is, listening to your story, listening to your history, uh, <laughs> there are so many parallels with the experiences that traumatized romance and relationship scam victims go through. Uh, mm -hmm. 
the details of the moment are obviously different from from a physical abusive situation to to a purely psychological one but at the end of the day people come out traumatized and trauma has many of the same characteristics regardless of the methods that produced it in terms of how to recover how to regain your life and how to find purpose and self-worth at the end of that process so it would be it would be great to have a conversation uh, after this to explore some of those commonalities but one of the things that I thought was so beneficial was your experience in working with a group we also do that uh, we have a number of groups and the great challenge is to get victims comfortable enough and and I say victims because once you've recovered you're a survivor you are a survivor mm -hmm. for example Debbie mm -hmm. is a survivor but until you reach that point to some extent you've adopted the persona of being a victim and mm -hmm. there's the challenge of how to get people past that we're not psychologists we're a a registered crime victims assistance provider uh, I myself am an anthropologist and 14 zillion other things but mm -hmm. the the bottom line in all of this is that we do deal with trauma on a on a profound basis and victims have great difficulty making their way through it now we're dealing with people through the entire traumatic life cycle so to speak whereas in in your particular case and I don't mean to diminish this in any way so please don't take it that way but you dealt with it over a span of much longer years than the mm -hmm. victims that we typically deal with the the life cycle for the people that we assist is typically two to three years so it obviously begins in in the total and complete panic and shock and it and it makes its way through the five stages of grief but we also deal with a strange component which is addiction because mm -hmm. scam victims are actually addicts that relationship to them was fulfilling the drivers that create this cocktail of hormones that keeps them addicted to the scam until they're completely confronted with reality I think one of the things that I heard in there that I thought would be particularly interesting is your skill in photography while at the same time your skill in helping trauma victims resolve their trauma what if you were to focus on using photography something you love as a therapeutic tool in other words instead of making it something to the side make it an integral component into a process of recovery using photography as a vehicle that would allow victims of sexual abuse domestic abuse psychological abuse whatever the case may be to use photography as both a means of expression a means of finding their voice a means of finding self-worth and also a means to begin to talk about the topics that so profoundly affected them I think you're in a really unique position that that might actually help you find a keel or a center 
um, balance amongst all the skills that you bring to the table that might be unique. And if you'd be interested, we'd love to talk about how that might benefit our audience as well as your own. Yeah, thank you so much. That's beautiful, beautiful insight. And I love the work that you're doing because it is so absolutely necessary. And I agree, healing is you know, in those first couple of years, you know, right after the experience is really, really important. And it is a lifelong journey. You know, we're always healing and growing as we evolve. Some new parts going to show up that we may not have realized was still there. And I actually, um, I am working on a book that you just described. <laughs> so I already have that in the process. Um, so I would love to expand that and, and that thinking with you because, um, I absolutely recognize my gift in healing and, and healing with the camera and helping others heal with the camera uh, and the images and really truly see themselves. So um, that is a book that I am working on as well, is uh, a, a book of portraits of sexual trauma, but I know trauma is all over in all kinds of different areas of our lives. It's not always sexual, and trauma is trauma. Um, and asking that the subjects, the people in the book, in front of the camera, share their healing journey. Because I agree, you know, until they start doing their healing work, they're still in that victim mentality. And I really want to focus and share the healing journeys. The story of their trauma will shine through in that. And the healing is the important part. You know, where do you move forward from that space? to get the other people to share that story, to get them into not reliving the trauma, but focusing on the, on the positive and focusing on the healing and sharing that because the victims don't know. You know, they don't know where to go. They don't know who to, who to talk to, if they're feeling confident enough to talk at all. Um, you know, the shame Can I interrupt that, that goes along with it. Yeah. One of the things that we find is actually quite problematic is there are vast numbers of, of instant experts, and I don't categorize you as that. But in our world, um, and in virtually any area of, of trauma, you have individuals who don't put in the work and the effort really to understand both what happened to them and the processes that other victims go through. They're simply, they flip on a switch, immediately after the event occurred, they're now an instant expert. This is, this is something known as the Savior Syndrome, uh, also mm. called the Messiah Syndrome. And it's a delusional state, and it's, it's, it's a form of mental illness. But it is profoundly extant in the world we live in. And we see this in, in the talking heads on the news media, etc. Everybody's an expert on something instantaneously. And, and one of the things that's, that's interesting about this is how many victims, when you say that they don't know where to go, unfortunately, a majority of victims end up in the hands of someone who is actually mm -hmm. doing them more harm than harm. good. Yeah. They're, they're leading them in the wrong directions. And it is actually people who suffer from the, the, the Messiah Syndrome are actually extraordinarily selfish. It's all about validating them and their victimhood rather than actually helping someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're clearly not that case, so don't <laughs> misconstrue what, I, what I'm saying. But, but 
we find that the majority of victims never get the help that they need simply because of this one issue alone because they mm-hmm. end up in the hands of some charlatan and they think that that's what recovery looks like they're repelled by it and never move forward well that's an excellent point absolutely <laughs> it is it is and i love the fact that was going back to your book though because i found too that many victims will really turn into the survivors once they tell the story and realize that they're not alone. And, Absolutely. you know, I'm looking at, you know, the, the area of photography and, and the thing that's striking me is the lenses of your camera. And that if you look at that as, as life, you know, you've got the lens that focuses right down on the nose and then you have mm-hmm. the one that's the wide angle of the panoramic, you know, so in a therapeutic type of a thing, you know, we've got to get people to move away from just focusing on that negative and looking at, like I, I like to say, it's the eternal perspective. Why did this happen? Who, it happened for us, not to us, and that takes time to understand. Um, yeah. But I love how your your take on life and how positive it is, and and you know, you're part of that Pollyanna group that I am, and it's okay because mm-hmm. we need to be able to find the good in what is presumably bad um, because in the long run it has made us better people and your trauma has made you an extraordinary woman strong you you know opinionated but kind (laughs) and just pleasant to be around and that's lovely (laughs) thank you (laughs) we don't have that with everybody in our lives so thank you, Dr. Tim, for your insight. That's really nice. Yes. And, uh, Christina, one last time, how can people get a hold of you either for the photography or for your love letters and, and your soul searching, yes. soul coaching? In- Instagram, I'm on Facebook, Christina Stewart Photography. Uh, on Instagram, it's at C. Stewart Photo. And Christina M. Stewart for the motivational side, uh, both on Facebook and on Instagram for both of those. And that's really the best way right now. Like I said, I'm, I'm doing some, the love letters. I will eventually have the domain. I have the domain, and she's setting it up, loveletterswithchristina.com. Okay. And, yeah, that's the best well, way to reach me, direct message me. We started this out saying we're befriending the monster under the bed. And we were laughing because it was probably the boogeyman in the closet and the monster <laughs> under the bed. But the point is we all have stuff that's happened to us. Grab it. Shake it throw it away and move on and help someone else that has that same monster somewhere. Well, you know, it's not even shaking it and throwing away. For me, it's having the conversation with it. There you go. Truly, it's the monster's just as scared as you are. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, have that conversation. What is your purpose? Why are you here? It's, It's learning, learning from it is, is how you can turn it into a gift and how you can show some gratitude for it. Well, and like you, you know, your life, like mine, the, some of the bad stuff has become the, our purpose and passion. So it's not so bad anymore. And, and that's, yeah. that's really important to, uh, to understand. So thank you so much for coming with us today and for changing up your morning routine and shaking <laughs> it up and being a really special guest. I truly, truly appreciate you. Um, so stay thank on, you. stay I on after you. we, after we shut it down. I want you to stay on and, yeah. and talk to some of the folks that are here with us. I will, okay. I will. Thank you, and thank you for having me, Debbie. It's been an honor. Absolutely. And I just want to say I remember photographing you. I think it was the first time you were on a, a big stage sharing your story. 
at Women's Prosperity Network Fun Conference. Yep. And how moving and inspirational. And it's been so fun to watch your journey. And, and you are an inspiration to me in stepping forward and in, in a bigger way. And I'm just honored to be witness to your journey. So thank you for standing up and speaking out. Well, thank you so much. Bless your heart. Yeah, I remember that standing up on that stage going, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> How do yeah, I do this? I love it. Yeah, so, yeah standing up and speaking up and having friends there to kick you in the butt and to hold your hand at the same time is truly important and, yeah. uh, and lots of fun. So thank you so much. So thank you, everybody, for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cyber crime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, which is a Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based here in Miami, Florida. We support victims, scam victims worldwide. And if you can donate a little bit, we would certainly appreciate it. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or any one of you struggles with the pins and needles and numbness in your hands and feet, check out our benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount. Again, thanks everybody. Go to my website, TheWomanBehindTheSmile.com for additional information and resources and Subscribe to my YouTube channel. We'll take this replay and we'll put it on on YouTube. And we really would like to get people to, to hear the stories and to understand you know, about those monsters under the bed and how we can change our lives and giggle through some of the trauma. Um, it's important. And life's too short for us to be under a rock. So thanks very much, everybody. Thanks to my guests. Have a wonderful day. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>